You're here with uh, Dennis Ramani and my co-host, Bill Goldberg, author of American Veda. Our uh, show, uh, Spirit Matters Talk, spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, uh, Pamela Miles. She is an international Reiki master and integrative health consultant. Her book, Reiki, a comprehensive guide, uh, and one of the leading authorities in the world on Reiki. Uh, Pamela, thank you so very much to, for taking the time to come on our show today. Oh, Dennis, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Pamela, this is Phil. Um, let's uh, begin where we always like to begin, by giving the listeners uh, a chance to um, know something more about the background and uh, personal path of the guest. How did you come to Reiki and what preceded it? I know you have a yoga background, a meditation background. What, what, uh, give us a, a sense of your history and what brought you to the work you do. Well, I always found the inner life uh, a bit more intriguing than anything outside. I'm sure I was a very strange child because I started teaching myself meditation and yoga from a book when I was about 10 years old mm-hmm. and um, started feeling benefit from it pretty quickly, you know, um, which was intriguing to me that I could do little things with my mind and it would change the way I felt about, oh, something I was anxious about, for example. So I practiced um, and became a Reiki, I'm sorry, a meditation teacher. I lived in India for a couple years in an ashram, you know, did pretty intensive spiritual practice and um, then when I was back in the States and um, was a, a single mom with a five-year-old and another one on the way, a friend of mine who was also a professional healer as I was uh, at that time took a first-degree Reiki class. And I was in my early pregnancy and feeling, you know, that kind of funk, like I was really happy to be pregnant and I was really healthy. The pregnancy was good, but I was tired. I was borderline nauseous all the time. And and she said, you know, I think you would like this. And she gave me a Reiki treatment on my bed. And within just a few moments of her placing her hands lightly at the crown of my head, I started to have subtle inner experiences such as um, I did when I was having a good meditation or receiving some other kind of um, traditional healing. And this was very exciting to me because it was really easy. (laughs) And as I mentioned, I was pregnant and I knew that the details of my life were not going to get easier for a long time and that I might not be able to count on being able to meditate and practice yoga and such. So that was really the beginning and the very next week I learned how to practice on myself and began incorporating that into my work with my healing clients. And then four years later, I embarked on a year's training to become a Reiki master teacher. Uh, Pamela, I wanted to ask you uh, something about the origins of Reiki. My understanding, it was developed about 100 years ago by a Buddhist uh, monk. Is that true? 
It's almost true. Uh, you're right. It, it was developed in the early 20s, almost 100 years ago. It really is a modern spiritual practice. And Mikhail Usui was a lifelong spiritual aspirant, but he was actually a family man. Mm-hmm. He had a wife and two children. Uh, but as is common in Asian societies, he was also very, very active in spiritual pursuit. So it's not quite true that he was a monk, um, but he definitely was an avid spiritual aspirant. And the practice itself was born out of a a three-week fasting meditation retreat that he embarked on on Mount Kurama, a sacred mountain outside of uh, Kyoto in Japan, and and it seems, you know, we don't have a lot of verifiable information that he went to the mountain with a sense of profound spiritual discontent, and that his intention was to really kind of give an ultimatum to the powers that be, that either I have a breakthrough or I'm going to die here. Mm -hmm. And, And fortunately for us, he had a breakthrough, a a satori, a profound spiritual experience, and that was what gave birth to the practice that we now call Reiki. So uh, just to to bring uh, that a a step further, um, is the the kind of underlying understanding of of what Reiki is, is that have um, theoretical or theological roots in Zen? Um, no, not to my knowledge. Uh, the spiritual traditions that were operative in Japan at that time were primarily um, Buddhism, you know, and as you know even better than I do, Phil, there are various um, approaches, but I've never seen Usui attached to the Zen Buddhist mm. approach and Shintoism and Taoism. Mm. And then there also, Christianity by that time uh, seems to have gone underground, but certainly anybody who was an intense spiritual aspirant and kind of in the know about these things would be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I wanted to ask, uh, in regard to um, the actual procedure, you're literally putting your hands on somebody, as I understand it, and then is it, are you then as an individual drawing that life force, that universal energy from within you or from some universal source and then bringing it through you, through your hands into the person that you're treating? Is that, that, that the mechanics of how it works? Well, that's what is commonly said. And it really is a whole lot simpler than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it starts with self-practice. So every morning and every day since I learned to practice uh, 29 plus years ago, I place my hands on myself and move through a series. For me, it's eight placements. And I don't have to deliberately do any of the things that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. I just place my hands, and because Reiki is an empowered practice, it's really so easy. 
that um, we don't even have the kind of effort that is needed for meditation or the effort of non-effort. I mean, our minds literally can be doing whatever they're doing as long as we have one or both hands placed on ourselves uh-huh. or, or it, when, um, you know, practicing on someone else the same. Can you explain what you mean by an empowered practice? Uh, sure. It is empowered by a series of initiations uh, that have been passed through a, an initiation lineage that Usui Sensi started. This was a very deliberate decision on his part to share the practice in that way and to share at least the beginning practice, the first degree level, widely. Um, in his time, practices such as this, you know, if, if a family member had a breakthrough, then they would keep it kind of close to the chest, you know, just for a few close disciples or the family like that. But Usui was um, quite a modern thinker, and he wanted this to be available but I want to repeat, at the beginning level, because in the four years that he lived after his Satori experience, he trained over 2,000 Japanese students, but he only trained 16 Reiki masters. Wow. So it, nowadays, everybody's a Reiki master. Right, right. <laughs> in, in regard, I wanted to ask uh, uh, another question, Pamela. I know some people that you know, that use Reiki for the health, and one person was telling me that uh, Reiki, the person that they go for Reiki treatment to actually is not even in the same country that they are in, that uh, she can do it from a, a distance. Is that common, uh, or is that traditional, or do you have to actually be there physically with the person to put your hands uh, upon them? A first-degree practice is hands-on or hands-close. Right. You know, you can always practice just off the body, mm-hmm. uh, which is a good thing if there's a burn or something <laughs> like that, but, but light touch is preferred. And then second-degree practice, and uh, Dennis, I should specify that for most people, first-degree practice is all they need. Mm-hmm. But uh, second-degree practice is where students who are interested learn how to replace the hand-to-body connection with the mind. And because then we have things we need to be doing with our minds, it's not quite as simple as first-degree practice, which is why I say Mm -hmm. first-degree is all that most people need. Uh, And it's not necessary to be a second-degree practitioner to be a professional, but generally a second-degree practitioner I mean, a professional would be a second-degree practitioner. And yes, you can do distant healing. I have clients that I see in person here in Manhattan, uh, and I also have clients that I would use the phone to talk to them. Sometimes people will say, uh-huh. can we do a Reiki session on the phone? And I'm like, well, no, actually, for the Reiki treatment part, we don't need the phone. We just need the phone to talk to each other a little bit. <laughs> Interesting. Um Pamela, people who know something about Reiki, usually not much, um, if they think of it in a respectful way, will think of it as a, a healing uh, intervention um, for illness and so forth. Uh, you made a point of saying uh, when we were talking prior to the show 
that um, you see it as a spiritual practice. Um, do you see it? Uh, first of all, I'd love you to explain uh, what uh, about it constitutes a spiritual practice, and is it a spiritual practice for you, the practitioner, or uh, is it also that for the person, your client, that, that with whom you're working? Really great question, Phil. Um, Reiki is a spiritual practice, and that's how Usui considered it. And, and one way that we know that is because only spiritual practices are empowered by initiation. You know, that's really an age-old way of um, a teacher sharing with students mm -hmm. the capacity to practice. And, mm -hmm. Uh, for example, in, in India, you'll see the mantra Om Namah Shivaya printed on shawls all over the place, and, and in, somebody could pick that up and, and start talking. Um, the mantra, you know, using the mantra in meditation or aloud, they're not going to get the same benefit as if they're initiated into the mantra by a teacher who has actually attained something and likely been initiated by his or her teacher, you know, through an initiation lineage. So that's the same setup that we have in, um, in the Reiki lineage, and, and that is a hallmark of spiritual practice. And practice is quite different than intervention in the sense that practice is something we do, it's a habit. You know, we do it regularly. We do it not based on external need, but we do it out of commitment to ourselves, to our self-care, to um, make it easier to be the best version of ourselves that we possibly can. And out of having that habit, a lot of things start to change. You know, we, we start reorganizing from a profound place within. Our sense of who we are changes, of what is important in life, of what matters. You know, all of that begins to change, and it changes very gradually. It, it's, it's a shift, as the, uh, the Christian mystic Théo de Chardin said, we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. And that's the arc of any spiritual practice. We start out practicing identified as a human, and after a while that identity shifts so that we identify as spirit and we're responsible for being mm -hmm. the human that we are. So that's why I, you know, I, I like to really underline that because it's been lost so much in the States in particular where Reiki practice is talked about as an intervention and it certainly can be used. I mean, just a few weeks ago I was in the airport waiting seven hours for uh, a delayed flight, and as I was walking to the gate, a woman just in front of me walking alone, the airport was empty by then, suddenly fell backwards. And I went over to her and I just placed my hands on her abdomen and, and she, she was in a bad way. You know, she started seizing and she was bleeding from the back of her head and, and finally a doctor came uh, and maybe half an hour later, they wheeled her out upright and the medic told me she was fine. And I'm not claiming any uh, credit for that, but just give an example 
of how practicing Reiki can be an intervention, but even as an intervention, I wasn't doing anything actively Mm -hmm. to her the way the doctor who came up started, you know, actively intervening. What I was doing as a practice was evoking her own self-healing response from deep within her system. So I'm not hoping. Pamela, uh, to take it a step further, uh, let's say one practices Reiki, either uh, as you do, or one is the recipient of your uh, practice, uh, and it's not uh, not intervention. Let, let's say it's not in the sense of, uh, of of healing something or curing some problem, uh, but going toward an end goal. And that's my question: Is there an end goal? Well, people practice meditation uh, uh, for immediate re- results, but ultimately maybe for enlightenment. Is, is there an end goal with Reiki? And is that end goal gotten to by by uh, uh, practice uh, either? by uh, being the Reiki teacher or, or practitioner or the recipient of what they're doing? I don't really think there is an end goal for spiritual mm-hmm. practice. We may have our, our druthers about this, but for me, my understanding is that practice is ongoing exploration. Mm-hmm. And even teachers that I've had who, you know, to my limited understanding, seem pretty enlightened, their perspective is that enlightenment isn't a goal or an end. You know, they don't, they're not freeze-dried enlightened. Uh (laughs) It's a more compassionate, aware way of being human. Mm -hmm. So I don't think of end result in that sense, but more a way of enabling us to live in the midst of uncertainty as the endangered species that we are as human <laughs> beings, right? We're making ourselves endangered. Yep. Uh, and, and to be able to stay with the uncertainty so that we can stay with the possibilities and keep making choices that are uplifting, that uh, bring happiness and balance and hopefully pave a better future for us. Uh, Pamela, along those lines of, of defining it as a spiritual practice, is it, does it become a spiritual practice for the people you work with? In other words, um, people come to you, they may have an ailment, they may be out of balance, they want uh, to see if Reiki works, it, it, they feel some benefit from it. Are there um, things they can do on their own um, and is that part of uh, what you do with people is to give them practices or uh, methods they can use on their own when they're not being uh, in the presence of a, of a Reiki master? Almost all of my clients wind up taking my class to learn first-degree practice. Ah. But from the very beginning, and you cannot practice Reiki without Um, learning from a teacher and having the initiation. Uh You can do other wonderful practices, but this is, uh, initiation is the backbone of this practice. But what I do is I encourage my clients, because I want to empower them from the very beginning, is to really be aware of how they feel after the treatment, you know, while we're chatting, uh, so that if they feel themselves starting to lose that state, they can use their imaginations to revisit 
what it felt like to be on the table. And in that way, keep uh, checking back in because a, a moment of healing <laughs> is all we really need, you know, because mm-hmm. a moment of healing is um, a moment beyond the limits of time and space. And if we can keep tapping into that, we can bring ourselves back to that remembered wellness of being in line with ourselves and the world we live in. Uh, Does that answer your question? Mm-hmm. Uh, Pamela, what about somebody uh, uh, coming to you that has psychological problems? Can Reiki help with that? You know, because Reiki practice promotes balance from within the person Mm -hmm. either self-practicing or receiving treatment, it can be a valuable support in any condition. And and this is a situation in which sometimes I've seen people have a contraindication about it, and I have to say that there's no basis in fact. I've been collaborating in conventional medicine for over 20 years, and I was brought into medicine, into Beth Israel Medical Center, to help create the first complementary therapies program in a hospital HIV treatment Mm -hmm. center. And a lot of the people that we served, most of them actually had multiple diagnoses, Dennis and Mm -hmm. Um, many of them had serious mental illness. Many of them were on psychotropic medications. And I kept in close touch with the psychiatrist because I knew one misunderstanding and the program would be squashed. Uh, But the psychiatrist actually helped supervise a number of the patients in reducing their medications, patients who wanted to, you know, who thought of it themselves. And they told me, and they finally wrote me a letter because they got so tired of me bugging them, um, that they saw no reason at all why anyone with a mental illness could not learn to practice Reiki or Mm -hmm. receive Reiki treatment. Let me just ask a follow-up question. Uh, Have you ever worked with anybody uh, with post-traumatic stress syndrome? Because it seems that this would be very... um uh, 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 beneficial for somebody with that. You're right. And um, I have done a little bit of that work, and I would love to do more uh, because people with PTSD um, respond really quickly to Reiki treatment. And I, on my blog, I have some guest blogs, one by a Reiki practitioner who practices in Brooklyn. She started volunteering, offering Reiki treatments to um, veterans and then wound up with a paid position. And it is very common for people to have their first full night of sleep after a single Reiki Mm -hmm. treatment. It's one of the benefits of Reiki treatment is that there's such a quick feedback loop. So people feel encouraged. You know, they, they feel better quickly. And that in and of itself is evidence of spiritual healing, right? That we have a different Correct. context. And when people feel better, they function better and they make better choices that help them keep feeling better. And, and so when they need medical um, care, that means that they are more compliant 
with the medical protocols or they're able to continue their chemotherapy because they have fewer and lighter side effects. Very interesting. Uh, Pamela, along those lines of working with conventional medical people, um, when you Google Reiki, or even if you just talk it's to another scary. person, you'll, you, the word pseudoscience comes up. And, you know, it, it's often thought of in the realm of quackery and, uh, you know, all, with all those connotations. How do you deal with that and how much has it changed over the course of your, your 20 plus years as a, as a Reiki master? <clears throat> the practice has changed a lot since the uh, the late 1980s, since after I was trained. I was trained, I'm an old-fashioned Reiki master, and I practice pretty much the way the practice was brought from Japan in 1938 uh, by a Reiki master named Hawaii Takata and her Japanese Reiki master, Chujiro Hayashi, who was a direct student of Mikao Sui. So once Mrs. Takata died at the end of 1980, then within you know, some years, Americans started doing what Americans do, which is <laughs> you know, we make everything bigger, better, longer, stronger before we even know enough about it to know how good it is and how effective it is. And, and what that basically has looked like is that Americans who saw this was a good thing uh, wanted to make it a better thing, so they started making it more complicated and um, cross-referencing with other uh, traditions that they didn't understand. So we saw chakras, for example, appear in um, Reiki practice, which is uh. kind of silly because um, chakras are part of the the Nadi system in India, you know, and there are no chakras in Japan. I mean, I'm not saying Japanese people don't have chakras. <laughs> right, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's a different system, you know. Yeah. So um, the unfortunate part, because I'm, I'm all for diversity, and the important thing to me is that people practice in a way that's meaningful to them. The unfortunate part is that the public is not aware of the diversity and that people made changes to the practice and sometimes to the initiations mm. without acknowledging it. So that's why, uh, Phil, when you said if you Google Reiki, I said it's scary. Yes. It it is because, I mean, this is a spiritual practice, so of course there's no regulation. There shouldn't be any regulation. But we also, it's a spiritual practice that can be shared with other people. And so we have Reiki professionals now, and the public rightly expects that a Reiki professional would speak in a documented way (laughs) about what they do, and it's just not the case. Mm. Mm. So the first point to make to the public is that you've got to inform yourself a little bit because there are people um, who think of themselves as Reiki masters, and they've clicked on a website Mm. where they self-initiate it. Kind of like uh, what goes on under the names of yoga and meditation. You, you can learn Reiki to be a Reiki master from a book is what you're saying, I believe. Uh, yeah, uh, Pamela, let me ask you one last question from my side, and that is uh, maybe you could tell us a, a fulfilling or a couple of f- fulfilling experiences you've had as a Reiki teacher. 
Oh, well, I wish you'd given me some time to uh, settle on one. I mean, the whole experience has been enormously fulfilling to me. Last night I started a first-degree class, and seeing the change in people in just like three and a half hours from walking into a room, sitting down with people that they've never met before, to practicing on themselves a couple of times and and feeling something shift. Well, one of the women who was in the class had come to me in uh, December for a few treatments, and she is a young wife and mother with a, a son who is, I don't know, maybe six years old. And some years back, when he was alive, she had a devastating illness and had really never recovered from it. So she was walking around, kind of going through the motions, doing the best she could, but had no inner sense of herself or wellness or happiness. And she shared last night how that totally shifted in the three treatments that we did mm-hmm. and that um, is she and I loved that she said it wasn't that I went back to who I used to be but I was able to grow through this very difficult experience and turn it into something positive and be stronger as a result of it. Interesting. Uh, Pamela, one question about um, Reiki as a spiritual uh, path or practice. Um, m- most people when they think of those terms, there's a practice element, there's also um, a a theological or a a knowledge aspect of it. So yogis have sacred texts, Uh, Zen Buddhists have their traditional understanding that gets transmitted, uh, so on and so forth. Is there a, a, a theoretical underpinning or a, a body of spiritual uh, knowledge that you refer people to or draw upon when people want to know what is this, how does it work, and that, that kind of thing? We don't have scripture, if that's what you're asking. And when people ask me, how it works, and I say this whether I'm being asked by physicians or lay people, what I say is science does not yet know the mechanism of action for Reiki practice. What we do know is that there is a fairly predictable, albeit individualized response, a self-healing response that is evoked by the practice, and we have some research documentation to support that. Basically, the human system starts shifting from sympathetic nervous system overdrive, which is the state that most of us live in, to parasympathetic nervous system dominance, which is important because that's the physiologic state in which the body is able to heal and restore itself. Very interesting. Pamela, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on our our program today. And again, your book, uh, Reiki, A Comprehensive Guide. Uh, And uh, your website? 
ReikiInMedicine.org. That's ReikiInMedicine.org. And um, Dennis, if I could just leave people with one piece of information that can really help them if they want to go forward. I mean, of course, I would love it if people go to the website and, mm-hmm. and sign up for the email list and you can specify whether you're totally new to Reiki and then you'll be sent information that's relevant to you or your healthcare uh, professional or a home practitioner or you're a Reiki professional. And there are different um, sequences of email with information that's relevant to each group. But for anybody who wants to either learn how to self-practice, which is what I'm always encouraging, or receive Reiki treatment from a professional, on my website, on the blog, in the sidebar, there are a couple of articles that can really help you make an informed choice. One is Reiki classes what's right for you, and the other is a recipe for credibility. But the most important question that you want to ask anyone is, do you practice daily hands-on self-Reiki? And if a practitioner or a teacher says anything other than, yes, every day without fail, then I really encourage you to look elsewhere because that commitment to one's own daily mm-hmm. self-practice is really fundamental to anchoring us in our own well-being and equipping us to be able to support other people who are looking for theirs. Excellent point. Very good. Uh, Pamela, just one last thing uh, for the listeners. Um, we're recording this in the middle of January. 2016, uh, are there any upcoming events or something you'd like to bring people's attention to um, in the coming weeks or months? Yes, uh, a few things. One is I'm in Manhattan in New York City, and I have first-degree Reiki classes here at least once a month. Uh, Another is for people who are already practicing, I have a retreat coming up in March and the details of that will be announced very soon and it will be small. So uh, if somebody is interested, they want to jump on that. And finally, I have an online interactive program called Write Reiki that will launch in February. And what we do is we use Reiki free writing. So people do 20 minutes of free writing at home on their own time to a prompt to deepen their experience and their understanding of their Reiki practice and to help them find their words, to be able to share the value that they found in their practice. Because as easy as Reiki is to practice, it's that hard to talk about and sound credible. So Mm -hmm. a a big part of the work that I do is mentoring professionals and even home practitioners to be able to, you know, find their language and and share the, the things that have been valuable to them in a way that people don't have to believe anything. You know, if you say, Mm -hmm. I'm sleeping so much better since I started uh, practicing Reiki just a few weeks ago, that's a big deal in this world. Mm -hmm. You don't have to get into the Reiki energy coming through and going where it's needed, which is all speculative. 
<laughs> thank you Very so good. thank you so much, Pamela. Uh, Spirit Matters, spiritmatters.com. Uh, I'm Dennis Ramani, my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda, our guest today, Pamela Miles, uh, international Reiki master. Thank you so very much for your time, Pamela. Thank you both. I really enjoyed it. Take care, Pamela. Thanks for coming on.